Minimalists. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we are the Minimalists. Today, Ryan, we're going to talk about raising kids. <laughs> I love talking about raising kids when I don't have any children myself. It's so <laughs> well, easy to give advice. <laughs> we're talking about the uh, data behind good parenting. And we're going to talk about how parents can be more confident in their parenting decisions. And we're going to do that with today's guest, Emily Oster from Brown University is here. Emily is the author of, of two books. One is Expecting Better, which is, Emily, that was a book about pregnancy. And then once you're done being pregnant, you actually have to raise the kids. It's true, yes. <laughs> and then so uh, we have her next book here. Her newest book is called Crib Sheet, A Data-Driven Guide to Better, More Relaxed Parenting from Birth to Preschool. What a good book. It's uh, I love how it's like a, it's a great reference book for every almost every subject you can think of when it comes to raising a child. That's my hope. Yeah. Up <laughs> to the age of like three. And then after <laughs> that, you're on your own. <laughs> and I'll hold this up for the YouTube audience who, who's watching this. If you're listening at home, you can't see it, but it's a beautiful cover and it's a, uh, it's a really good book. I was actually reading this book in the hospital last week. My six-year-old was in the hospital having a, a surgery that was planned and I was in there and everyone was coughing on me and, and so I'm <laughs> getting over a cold myself. And I was telling Emily before we started recording, I... I really wish I would have had this six years ago. It would have been really helpful. I wish my parents would have had it. <laughs> 38 years ago. Now, Emily, this is a listener-driven show, so let's dive into some questions here. Our first question today is from Beth in Arlington, Virginia. Hi, Ryan and Josh. I am Beth from Arlington, Virginia. I am finally at a stable place in my personal and professional life after being in school for 25 straight years and completing four degrees, including my doctorate last year. My family and friends keep asking, when are you going to get married? And what about having kids? I've put education as a priority in my life, and now that I am done, I'm in a dilemma. If one day I do get married, and if we decide to have kids, I'm struggling with which partner will have to sacrifice their career to help raise the family. Although I live a minimal and joy-driven lifestyle, I have invested 25 years and over $400,000 in tuition and student loans to obtain a great job where I save lives every day. Do you have any advice on making sacrifices to raise a family? And if the mother doesn't want to give up her career, what should a supportive spouse do in return? So, Emily, you... You're an economist. Your husband's also an economist, yeah, right? Absolutely. Okay, so I imagine if we walk into your house, it's just like spreadsheets everywhere. <laughs> everywhere, like the, yeah. Or like no, your children exactly. ask to do something, and you're like, "There's not enough data to, su to support that decision." <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I, I would say the thing that <laughs> is everywhere in our house are checklists. Our family is like really into checklists. It's just like they're like all over the place, <laughs> different checklists. That is great. There's just data scattered if everywhere. You, everywhere. If you want to go to your friend's house, uh, give me a checklist. We'll go over it. Right. Show me yeah. the data, and if it makes sense, yeah, you can go over to your friend's house. I, I did tell my eight year old. 
Rachel the other day. Like she said, I want to have the following change in my in my like something I I have permission to do, and I was like, that's great. Why don't you write up a proposal for like how it. we will how we will do that? But she to be fair, she hasn't done that. She was just like, oh, forget <laughs> it, fine. I, <laughs> but I think there is like there is a, a an advantage to raising your kids that way to kind of help them just think about things in a in a very different way instead of going on emotion. I mean, the kids are they're really good on acting on emotion, but kind of doing that helps them kind of act off of a of some reasoning, I guess. So what, let's talk to Beth here about you. Know, she mentioned sacrifices. Uh, she mentioned, uh, and I, I think that's true. You, you, we always have to make sacrifice. I mean, having kids is a sacrifice itself. I, th I think Emily would call it an opportunity cost. Uh, I would, I would, yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And, and and so let's talk about some of those sacrifices, but also finding a partner because you're really uh, the term co-parenting generally means like parents have split up and and now they're you know, they're raising kids separately. But when I mean my wife and I and our six year old daughter we're we're co-parenting because we're parenting yeah. together, right? Yeah, I mean I think sort of thinking about what Beth said, I think there was an underlying part of that question which somehow presumed that if she does choose to have kids that she will somehow somebody will have to give up something about their career and that it will it will sort of have to be her or that that would be the the default and i think there is a sense in which when you have a kid like that's something else you have to you have to do and it's sort of silly to pretend that there aren't going to be sacrifices or that there aren't going to be that that isn't going to take time that you would be doing from from other things but i i also think I, I would not want people to go into this thinking, you know, if I'm a woman and I have a kid, that's going to be it for all this investment I made in my in my career, because there are ways to to manage that. And one of the things I talk about in the book is, you know, what does the evidence say about having two parents mm -hmm. work versus somebody stay home? And the evidence says that those are both fine in terms of your kids' outcomes, that your kids do sort of similarly well with two parents working or uh, one parent working and one parent not. And so that do it doesn't have to be a choice that if I decide to have a kid, I'm going to decide not to have a job. Although I think it's fair to think about, you know, the kid is going to require some time and energy and you're going to need to think about how you how you manage that and how you manage it with both with both parents. Yeah, I totally agree. Like you don't have to choose one or the other. I think something I would uh, tell Beth here also is what well, she mentioned her priority. And like how, you know, school and her job is her priority. So what are her priorities? Get clear on that. And when you're looking for a partner, express what those priorities are. And you have to find a partner who's willing to support you and your priorities and vice versa. Also preferences. I know, Emily, in your book, you talk about preferences quite a bit. And, and a lot of these decisions, they come down to incorporating preferences with the data as opposed to just like, well, uh, here's here's what the data says. But if the data is going to make you miserable, then then that alone isn't going to give you the answer that you want. Yeah, and I think also thinking about the whole family, that is another, in some ways, another message of the book is that is that a lot of these parenting decisions, the way that we frame them in the popular discourse, are just what is best for the baby and what are the things we're going to do to enhance our baby and make it the best mm. baby, and you know that, and like <laughs> and and almost like any amount of sacrifice by parents is okay in, even if it's a tiny bit good for the for the baby and i think that's not a super helpful way to think about it because of course parents being happy and feeling fulfilled and feeling like they have agency is also an important part of having your family function correctly and function well and i think that's also good for them for the baby because yeah. also if raising your kid is making you uh, a ball of anxiety that anxiety is going to certainly rub off on on the kid yeah. yeah if you're exhausted and you like and you're not sleeping and you can barely drive and function at your at your job or in your household that's probably also not good for your kid yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you said uh, the word sacrifice, and it makes me think, like, when you have kids, there's going to be some sacrifices, right? I mean, am I wrong on that? You've got to figure out what you are willing to sacrifice. With best situation, she wants to put her job first, which is totally cool, but she is sacrificing some time spent with the kid. So I think, yeah, I mean, get clear in those priorities and figure out what you're willing to sacrifice, what your partner is willing to sacrifice. Um, it is, I mean, there's no way to not have sacrifices in parenting. Is that... What do yeah, you think? I think I think that's fair. <laughs> They're all always going. You're going to give up something in order to get something, mm-hmm. right? And so, if, if that's what we mean by sacrifice or or opportunity cost, however, I do think there is a weird sort of societal double standard where uh, women are expected to do everything. Uh, it's you are supposed to be the best stay-at-home mom who also has a fifty-hour-a-week. A prestigious career. What do they call it? Super moms? Uh, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, and, and, and so, Emily, can, can we talk a little bit about that? Because I don't see that, that same double standard for men where like we're supposed to be outstanding. I mean, the definition of an outstanding father is often one who is a, a career-driven father, whereas an outstanding mother has to have sort of both components. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of women... There is clearly a double standard, and you see it all over the place. You see it like when you travel with your kids. You know, if you travel alone with your six-year-old, probably now that he's now that they're older, it's a little different. But when you if you are like a guy traveling alone with a baby, everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, you're so oh you're traveling, so giving your wife a break. That's so great." You see a, a woman traveling with a baby, people are like, "Great, sitting next to a lady with the baby on the airplane," you know. Like, and and I mean, it's this it's this sort of like like kind of what are your expectations for how people will will behave you know even if you're you're like the dad is with the kids one day we may have a lot of friends where like they sort of split the weekend and like you know one or at least each person will get a little bit of time to themselves on the weekend where the other parent has the kids and people will be like oh it's so great that you're babysitting for your wife like what would that mean wow. like ba- like babysit like it's yeah. your kid yeah, you're not babysitting your kid like that it's not that's not what that is. No, no, no. And so I, I, but I think it's hard, and I think it, it makes it it makes it harder for women to kind of navigate the the having a career and having a, a kid because the expectations that people place on what is going to be an acceptable amount of parenting are just totally different. Mm-hmm. Beth, I'm going to send you a copy of Emily's new book, Crib Sheet. I think you're going to enjoy it whenever the time comes for you to have kids. Obviously. You have a few other steps in between there. It's finding the ideal partner, right? Uh, and then, and then, of course, uh, setting those priorities, those expectations, and equally important, those preferences, and, and making sure you're really clear. Ryan and I, we often talk about finding someone whose values align with ours, even when our beliefs are different. So Ryan and I are a really good example of this in terms of being really good friends and and uh, business partners. We have very similar values, core values, uh, foundational values. But our beliefs are pretty different. We have different political beliefs. Uh, we have different spiritual and religious beliefs. But there are diff- just different paths that get us to those those same values. And so, uh, if you also want to learn more about that, you can head over on, head on over to our podcast episode number sixty nine. We did a entire podcast episode about values. But we'll send you a, a copy of Emily's book, Crib Sheet. Our next question is from Stephanie in Tampa, Florida. Hi, my name is Stephanie. I'm from Tampa, Florida. My question is about family. So my mom is a hoarder in the truest sense of the word hoarder. Um, She gets things from estate sales that she doesn't need and just keeps them in her house and says that one day they will be me and my sister's problem when she passes away. So my question is um, with her, with someone that has the mindset of 
I'm just getting things just to get things. And me trying to go down the minimalist path that I'm trying to go down, I have a two-year-old. And my mother is starting to try to instill into my daughter this mindset of just getting things just to have them. So when my daughter goes to my mom's house, she's seeing all this stuff and wondering why we don't have all this stuff at home. So I guess my question is, how do I get my mom, who is clearly a hoarder, to understand that I'm trying to instill in my daughter a minimalism lifestyle or a lifestyle where she doesn't feel like she needs things just to fill her life. So Emily, when we talk about minimalism, we're we're really talking about intentional consumption of bringing in goods that add value to our lives. They enhance or augment our experience of life. Ryan and I are not against material possessions. Uh, we are against material possessions that get in the way of living a meaningful or purposeful life. Now, um, what Stephanie is asking here with her mom is, hey, my mom and I don't have the same values. And what I'm worried about is my mom is going to instill values that I think are detrimental to my kid. Now, that uh, through through her lens is consumption, but that can be that could really be anything. Uh, I'm tempted to always say, "What does the data say about this?" But, yeah. but 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 in terms of like, I'm sure you you've you've stumbled across in the research. There are uh, there are new mothers and new fathers who have parents whose values they don't want to instill in their their children. Yeah, and I think it comes up a lot. I mean, this is an this is an interesting example because I think many people have a form of what um, of what she's describing with with stuff um, you know maybe not as extreme as you know my mom is a hoarder but in the space of you know my the grandparents give my kid gifts that I don't um, like too too much stuff and I'm trying not to have so much um, so much stuff and I think you know part of it is it's very hard to regulate your uh, it's very hard to regulate your parents mm-hmm. when it comes to you know, you know like and some so, like mostly it's, you might not, not be able to do that yeah. but you can try to instill you know values in your kid particularly as they're older it's hard with a two-year-old you know but with the with an older kid they are I think they're more capable than we give them credit for for understanding the idea that you know people are going to differ in the choices that they that they make and there are reasons we make these choices and so even with you know with kids who are, you know, my kids are four and eight, but they're, you know, they're like, particularly the older one is old enough to understand, like, you know, we don't want to consume, we don't want to just buy things to have them because like, that's not nice for the earth or whatever, you know, whatever is the sort of particular reason for your, um, for your values. And I think we sometimes don't give kids enough credit for the idea that they can understand that people could have different values and that, you know, our family is trying to have a particular kind of you know, kind of value. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Helping the kid like understand the benefits of having less, helping them understand the harmful things of, of having more and help. Yeah. I totally agree. Like a kid can grasp that, that information. Yeah. I think that, that, uh, there are a few things that come to mind when I'm, when I, if I were talking to Stephanie, first thing that I would, would say is instead of telling your, your mom what you don't want her to do, because that doesn't work out well. Mom, I don't no. want you to do yeah. this anymore. Isn't so, it interesting? Like, I think about trying to regulate your parents. It's like your parents trying to regulate you as a teenager. Exactly. Like, it, it, it's 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 funny because we grow up hating being regulated, but then we go out of the house and then we're like, oh, now we're going to try and regulate our parents. I think it's like trying to fill this cup with oxygen. Right. <laughs> it's like, well, I, what am I going to blow into it? Like, it, it's still it's it's still an empty cup sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um the the thing I'm thinking about though with 
um, w- w- with Stephanie's mom is telling the parents what you do want as opposed to what you what you don't want. Yeah. Ryan talked about the benefits. Knowing the why behind the values is really important. But instead of going, hey, mom, stop doing this. Stop stop putting stuff in front of her. Stop giving her things. Yeah. Tell her what to give yeah. her. Give her examples of experiences or things that will actually bring value instead of trying to fill the cup up with air. Fill it with something that is is nourishing in yeah. a way. And I think like when she's having that talk with her mom, like Stephanie has to put everything she can on herself. Like instead of saying, you know, mm-hmm. your house, you do this, you do that. Yeah, don't uh, call her a hoarder. Right, exactly. Don't like that's with that. <laughs> Yeah, so it's well it's funny because I was thinking when I first heard this voicemail, uh I, I always think to myself, like, what is um, you know, an example beside the example given, like what else can we kind of liken this to? And I thought about what if her mother was a chain smoker? She smoked in the house constantly. And there was secondhand smoke always in the house. What a great example. It's like, what would Stephanie do? She probably would would keep her child out of that unsafe environment as much as possible. This isn't really too unlike that. I mean, especially, uh, you know, some of the hoarder, hoarders, you've got stacks of paper. I mean, it, it is truly an unsafe situation. Yeah, it's unsanitary. and it, yeah. it's, There's a pithy answer here. Uh, uh, hoarding is the new secondhand smoking. <laughs> you can tweet that podcast, Sean. Yeah, yeah so it's like, you know, you, you want to explain to your mother in the most loving way putting everything you can on yourself that you really can't have your child around an unhealthy environment and that's what her mother is providing right now is an unhealthy environment uh it doesn't mean that you know the mother her mother can't see her granddaughter uh but certainly again if if she was a secondhand smoker i know that i would keep my grandma's uh she's a secondhand smoker (laughs) if she's a smoker uh like my grandma smokes a lot i would keep my child out of her house as much as possible because i wouldn't want my kid inhaling that secondhand smoke i mean ultimately you have to love someone from a distance you have to set up some boundaries here and i think the example you you bring up is is so poignant because it it really illustrates how harmful some behaviors can be now Obviously, there's a, a immediate, well, not even an immediate. I mean, with smoking, it's not immediate, right? There's a long-term sort of health effect there. So, so Emily, do, uh, when it comes to setting boundaries, I, I know that we can talk about setting boundaries for our kids, but also setting boundaries for uh, the people who are in our kids' lives is important. Yeah. I, I mean, I and I think that's a place where where it's it's valuable to sort of th- think about distinguishing between like things that are that we think of as dangerous right so you sort of said like secondhand smoke you know like fire hazard kind of unsanitary conditions as a thing where like i can't i it is not safe for me to expose my kid you know if you had a relative who was who drove under the influence like you wouldn't put the kid in the car with them there's like things there where there's a line and then there are things where it's like that isn't my preference but that isn't the way i would do it and i think that sometimes when in the sort of like hyper tense world of modern parenting you can get really into sort of like well my kid this is the routine that we have you know and like this is the routine in my house my kid has to practice their violin at this time and they have to do this at this time and they have to like we don't let them have carbohydrates for snack um you know which like to be fair is a rule that i have in my house like we have there's snacks you're not allowed to have carbohydrates for snack at home i don't know that's just a rule they don't eat as much lunch it's that's what we came up with but i think i have had to let go a little bit like when they're at my my mom's house you know she gives them carbohydrates for snack she doesn't give them candy for snack but you know sometimes they have crackers and like you have to you have to see in your in your parenting where where, what is the like crackers for snack Uh and what is the secondhand smoke and and recognize and i think this can be harder than it than it seems to recognize that 
you know, your kid is going to have an independent relationship with with your parents or with other people in in your lives, and and that. Um, that you can you can explain you know we have a particular set of rules or or values and there are some which are so important that we're going to enforce them on other people and some which are the way that our family operates but there are many other good ways to operate and you know when you're at grandma's house it's okay to have crackers yeah and you have to let, let go like, you have to let it go things. you gotta yeah. let it go a little yeah. it's not my best thing so so that's where, i mean that's where stephanie's at right now like she has to really make that decision yeah is this at the level is of it, like it's i have to draw the line you can't see your your yeah. grandkid as much or is it the level of you know it's okay to do but i want to make sure i explain to my kid as they get older why we operate our family differently yeah. and right. there might be a middle ground where maybe she avoids the house you know a little bit more than what she has and makes plants outside of the house to do things. So, I mean, there might be a middle ground there where, yeah, she doesn't completely stop going to grandma's, but she maybe decreases the time that her daughter spends there. I had a, well, two things. One is I think for Stephanie, she has the leverage and she has to realize she has the leverage here. And if she wants to (laughs) help the kid, yeah, (laughs) it is the time with the kid for sure. Right. And, and so approaching it in a positive manner, like you talked about not going and saying you're a hoarder and I can't have the secondhand hoarding around my, that's a good, uh, that's like a good book title there. Secondhand hoarding. Um, (laughs) But uh, I can't have I can't have my kid around this this there's there's a better way to approach it in a positive manner where you, yeah. where you're putting your preferences on it. But also this past week I had one of those situations where I did have to let go of some stuff. We were in the hospital of all places, ironically, and after Ella's surgery, she's sit, sitting there in the recovery room and they bring her like some food to eat. She had to do a morning fast beforehand which is impossible for a six-year-old to do a a two-hour fast. Mm. And afterward, though, they they brought her this food after she she comes to, and it's like jello and a bunch of crackers and... They said, oh, we'll bring some chicken soup, chicken noodle soup. It was really just pasta with a little bit of, like, chicken broth in it. Mm. And, and, like, it was not... It's the epitome of, like, what we wouldn't give her in our own house, but... It's like, okay, this is a one-time thing. In the hospital. It's in the hospital. We're trying to get her some nourishment. Is this the best food? No. Is it the best option right now? Yeah, I'm not going to ask her after her surgery. You know, you're going to have to continue to fast because I don't want you to have two saltine crackers. Right. What a great question. Is this the best option? Yeah. So like anytime that her daughter is going over there, like that's the question she'd be asking. Is is this the best option right now? Stephanie, I'm going to send you a copy of our book, Essential. There are 12 different chapters in that book. It's an essay collection, 150 different essays about intentional living, 12 different areas of intentional living. And one of those areas has to do with our stuff. How can we consume things more intentionally? And so we're talking about stuff. We're talking about hoarding. We're talking about minimalism. Stephanie, I think you'll find a lot of value in that stuff chapter and the other 11 chapters as well. If you like our podcast, you'll like the audiobook version of that book. Or if you want the ebook or the book book, we're happy to send those to you as well. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media. Now, Emily, here's what we do. Uh, we're at The Minimalists on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, you, what is your at prof? Emily Oster. Emily Oster. There we go. Uh, on Twitter, you can follow her there. We'll put a link to all of the stuff we're talking about today in the show notes as well. Now, Emily, Emily here's what we try to do. We, we try to answer questions with short, shareable, less than 140 character responses. 
Not 280 characters? <laughs> well, no, we're minimalist. You're minimalist. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. All right. But not really. We just, we, we maunder on quite a bit. Yeah. Uh -huh. And then Sean, like, tweezes something out in post and okay. makes it look beautiful. He puts it in the show notes so people can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if they'd like. And also, uh, our friend Jessica, who manages all the social media, she she puts all of our minimal maxims in one place now. It's uh, minimalmaxims.com. Ryan, what's our question today? Our first question is, or yeah, our question today is, Danielle, what's the best way to educate children in a world filled with consumerism? Hmm. So, Emily, uh, we are bombarded with messages. The stat I used to use was three to 5,000 advertising messages a day. I saw a stat recently that said up to 10,000. My guess is that's for people in New York and LA probably. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so they're advertising to kids nowadays more yeah. than ever. More than ever, yeah. yeah. And and by the way, uh, when we're kids, I think we're that's when we're most susceptible to it. I mean, I think we're very susceptible susceptible to it now. Even as the minimalist, I'd mm. see a Rolex and I want one, even though I don't oh, even yeah. wear a watch. Yeah, and it's like, what am I doing? <clears throat> so so how do, so do you think for Danielle's kid, we sh we should just send her three of our books so her kid can read our books? Yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely. how she can. That's how Good she can plan. educate her child. Here, read these minimalism books. <laughs> how do we educate our children? Um, uh, to to make them more conscious of their consumption, I would say talk to them about people who have less, mm. to the extent that's age appropriate. Mm. Um, I mean, I think I found with my kids that's the that is the thing that has in some ways been the most effective is to talk about there are you know there are people who don't have anything and not in a way that you know you should feel guilty, but in a way that you know when we consume when we consume that you can live with with less stuff and that when we consume this stuff it is it can be wasteful and, and also putting things in perspective because a kid's perspective is they're sort of um, all children are, are solipsists in a way right and um, almost by definition and so their worldview is literally their view like what they see around mm -hmm. them it, it's it's like it's vaguely occult actually like there's this as a kid, you almost feel like the entire world was constructed for you. And as you leave the room, everything just sort of dissipates. And as you re-enter the world or the, the, the room, the world rematerializes to your point of view and helping them understand these other worldviews, whether it is working at a soup kitchen or it's, it's you know, taking them to Goodwill. When Ella, we take her once a, a month to go donate stuff. We'll just have a donation bag. But don't just show her the the action. We, we explain to her and try to help her understand where the things are going. Yeah. And now she explains to us where they're going. And I find that important. My, my pithy answer is minimalism is not a way to escape consumption. It's a way to consume responsibly. Mm. And, and I think really that's what we're talking about here. We're, we're, we talk about asking the right questions. You know, Ryan and I, we, we have the, the five questions we ask before buying anything new, or we have set up some rules that, <clears throat> that we each have <clears throat> excuse me um that when when we're we're trying to bring something new into our life or we're trying to hold on to something we do so in a deliberate way and and i think quite often people get confused about minimalism or simplifying or parenting even and, and thinking there are definitive answers and i think emily what you do really well here is you you, I mean, you give some definitive answers where it really makes sense, yeah. but sometimes it's like, well, half the parents circumcise their kids, the other half don't. Right. And you get to, you know, it's really up to your preference sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, my pithy answer is uh, similar to what you were talking about earlier, Josh. Children learn more from conduct than counseling. So, mm -hmm. you know, if a parent 
is trying to raise their kids right. They need to be raising themselves right. Yeah. And that's really where kids are going to learn. I mean, it's, you know, there's 50% nurture, 50% nature, I guess, or whatever percentage that works out to be with, with kids. Isn't it more like 90-10? Is it? Na- nature versus... Yeah, it, it's it's almost all nature, right? Like, we're, we're pretty much screwed from birth. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's kind of hard to separate those out. I mean, I think you can see, you know, people can look at like twin studies and see sort of how much do twins, do, do twins share. But you know, I don't, I don't. It's yeah, yeah. I, mm. There's a fair amount of actually. It makes a me fair th- amount of nurture. It makes me think of uh, what was the documentary called? Well, the three, the triplets, like found each other at random. Oh, the thing where they were all like, I yeah, what that was called. But like they were, it was. I feel like th- that they were was, all the same person. Well, it, it, I feel like it was fifty percent. The same, but then they all had their fifty percent differences. But no, but none of them were like, well, one has neck tattoos, and and the other one's in prison, and the other one. But is their preferences, president were, of the United States. But the preferences and behaviors were a little bit different. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the. I don't know. I need but to see the data to back up ninety ninety ten, <laughs> yeah. Josh. But when you when you it's true when you have two kids, it's, it becomes very quickly clear that like a lot of the differences are just at birth. At birth, like you basically sort of immediately, like my son is way like calmer mm. person than my daughter and not like they're they're great. And there's a lot of things that are very similar, but you could just sort of see that he was just like a little bit less high strung. Mm. And that was true at like two weeks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's still true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Before we get into our added value segment and our listener tips today, it looks like we have a bunch more surprise questions this week. Indeed we do. Uh, let's check out some of these questions here. How can a parent help motivate their children to engage with their surroundings instead of pacifying themselves with phones and tablets and glowing screens? What are Emily's tips for raising gifted children? What about her tips for special needs children? What are some financial education resources for children? And also a bunch more questions here like, should you breastfeed? Should you sleep train? What are Emily's three biggest parenting surprises? Thoughts on helicopter parenting? And uh, I'm going to ask her whether or not all children are sociopaths, Ryan. (laughs) We've got about three million other parenting questions for Emily. And I want to argue with her that... uh, Having children, I think, might be a bad decision. I'm going to have her talk me out of it. Or maybe she'll talk me into it. Who knows? And (laughs) if you want to hear all that, you can listen to this week's Maximal episode available exclusively on Patreon. That's right. You're currently listening to our weekly Minimal episode. But each week, Ryan and I record an entirely different, much longer Maximal episode on The Minimalist's private podcast, which gives us the private space we need to talk about topics we don't usually discuss in public. Plus, Patreon is the best way for us to fund this podcast and keep it 100% advertisement free. When you subscribe to the Minimalist Private Podcast on Patreon, you'll also receive a personal link so that our maximal episodes play in your favorite podcast app. Find all the details and all the good stuff over at theminimalists.com slash support. Ryan, what else you got for us this week? You know, y'all, if all you are doing are listening to Josh and I and what we have to say, you're really doing yourself a disservice. So you got to read more. You got to get informed. You can do that this week with this book right here that I'm holding up to the camera if you're watching this on YouTube with Emily Oster's Crib Sheet. I was like, <laughs> is it Crib Sheet Parenting or just Crib Sheet? Crib Sheet. Uh, you know what? This book, man, it's it's a great reference book. It's crazy, though. You You know, the argument about having kids or not, I think analytically the answer is no like no you should not have kids but emotionally mm-hmm. it's like that. that's where i want to have kids um but uh, it'll be interesting to see what she has to say about that and then of course i've got some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners check them out hi my name is erin and i live in salt lake city and first off i wanted to thank you 
um, all the minimalist team um, for your podcast. It continually helps me simplify my life and to recognize that simplicity and minimalism is a journey and not a destination. It's something that I have to continually work at. Um, during the clothing episode, you touched a lot on intentional purchasing, and I had a tip I've been using lately that I hope can help other listeners express intentionality when they need to buy things. Um, so what I do is I keep a note on my phone of questions that I have to answer, look at and answer before I purchase something, and it can be anything from groceries to clothing. And you can come up with whatever questions work for you, but here are mine as an example. So the first one is, uh, and hopefully it's a podcast favorite, uh, does this add value to my life? The second one, can I afford it? The third, can something else do the same job or substitute well enough? So hopefully it forces me to be a little bit creative and see if I can find something already that will work. Um, fourth, will I use it frequently enough to warrant buying it? So it helps me consider if it's something that maybe I can borrow or rent instead. The fifth, can I buy it used if I do need to buy it? And then the sixth, does it fall in line with my principles? Um, so, for instance, I'm a, a vegan for ethical reasons, so I, when I buy food, I choose to buy plant-based food. Um, if it's clothing, it's something that I um, hopefully can find sustainably produced and that will last me a long time. Um, or if it has uh, any type of packaging, that hopefully it's recyclable. And then lastly, um, which kind of ties back to the first one, do I need it or do I just want it? And if it's something I just want, then it needs to go back on the shelf. Hi, Josh and Ryan. My name is Chris Urban, and I'm a computer tech calling in from Chico, California. I was listening to your organizing episode and wanted to give a tip to Tanya, who called in wanting to sort her digital files. You guys mentioned cloud storage as an option, which is great for some. I personally dislike cloud storage because I never want to risk my personal privacy if there was a security issue with the cloud service. I'll be facing sorting my own digital files this month, and we'll be doing it with two hard drives, which will be the same model of size, and will be in RAID 1. Without going into too much detail, RAID 1 is a way to set up hard drives to be mere images of each other. Every time a file is added to one, it goes to the other also. It appears as one drive in the operating system. If one drive fails, the other will still have the data. It's a great way to back up important data and avoid the cloud. I realize this sounds very complicated, but it really isn't. Search online for how to set up RAID 1, and I am sure you will find plenty of guides. All right, y'all. Thanks again to Emily for joining us today. Check out her latest book, Crib Sheet. You can also check out her first book about pregnancy. It is called Expecting Better. And real quick, for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. Actually, I've got two things for you. Uh, if you want to follow Ella, Ella on Twitter. She's at Ella Sandwich. She says the craziest things. <laughs> we'll get into that a little bit more on the Maximal episode. Talk about Ella and her thousands of Twitter followers. But it's a, it's almost a scrapbook or a diary of all the things she has said for the last, I don't know, five years or so, three years, four years, something like that. And also, uh, we've been doing this thing with these wallpapers now. We have a growing list of wallpapers to help people declutter their glowing screen. So whether it's your smartphone or your computer, if you go to theminimalists.com slash wallpapers, you can find our Love People Use Things wallpaper. That one is really popular. I've seen a lot of people sharing it on Instagram and social media, but also uh, our personal favorite, the minus sign. I think both of us have the, the subtract sign on our phones. 
what else do we have? We, it's a growing list. We've got the scrolling is the new smoking. That, that one should be out by the time this episode comes out. If not, it'll be out soon. You can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. We've got lesses now. We've got a bunch of others coming, so you can keep checking back there. You just go to theminimalists.com slash wallpapers to download your free minimalist wallpapers. Declutter your glowing screens today at no charge. And if you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip, for our podcast, leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839, or send a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can comment on this episode, youtube.com slash theminimalists. And if you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list at theminimalists.com. You'll also receive our simple Sunday emails. For our added value this week, I just discovered this, this EP by a group named Sailor. I don't know if you've heard of them. Of course, they spell it all cool. Yeah, it's it's like spelled like a tech company or something, right? Yeah, S A I L R. Do you think like they started people started spelling things that way because that's how they could get domains, and then because people started spelling it that way, all of a sudden it became hip to start taking out certain vowels. Yes, and I also think it has something to do with when you are googling someone. If they have a very common, like one of my favorite R&B artists, his name is Black, but he spells it with a six instead mm. of a B. So because if you just Google the word Black, you're gonna get like I don't know, a, a, some painting website will come up. Like here's where you can buy black paint or a black car, and and, and so um, so yeah. it started out for marketing purposes, and now it's cool. I think so. Yeah, just you, like you, Josh. You should put a six in Nicodemus. <laughs> Sick of demons. <laughs> All right, let's uh, end this episode with a song called Heartbeat from Sailor's new EP. It's called Volume 2. And if you leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. I woke up with you on my mind. Watch the air turn. Yeah.